Hey guys, quick note before we start the show. At some point during the episode, I mentioned that writer Alex Kurtzman is a 9-11 truther, and that is not true. I was actually thinking of Roberto Orsi, or Orki, who is Kurtzman's co-writer on Star Trek Into Darkness with David Lindelof as well. So uh, I'm t- that's who I was talking about, not Kurtzman. My apologies, and enjoy the show. Do you have anything you want to talk about this time? I feel like I've been taking these last few. I, this one, I don't know that I do right, right now. How, how's, how have you been? Well, I have had uh, a stomach flu, or not flu, but some kind of stomach bug of some sort oh, for the last oh, that's the worst. several days, but I'm feeling mostly better. I, uh, <laughs> that's really basically... want to draw in an audience right, right. right away. We'll just yeah, well, I, won't, I, I won't get super specific, I guess. Um, okay. But, uh, oh, my um, Cloud Spire came in uh, since the last time oh, we talked. Oh, yeah. Yep, so plug, that's pretty cool. Plug for yeah, Shots everyone Cloud go check Spire. out. Cloudspire on ShipTheoryGames.com. I, I worked we on it. it or? Oh, uh, yeah, we plug it. We plug it because because we cover record this so far in advance. I just kind of remember to plug it, like every like three episodes because That's I right. I could never remember like when they're coming out. But it is out now actually. So it's exciting. Check check out Cloudspire. This is maybe our most boring collab. <laughs> That's right. This podcast not at all sponsored. However. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Out of Contracts, the show where two people who have seen part of Star Trek try to watch all of it in no particular order. I'm Ryan Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle. And today, the Star Trek episode that we have randomly selected to watch is the Season 2, Episode 14 episode of uh, Star Trek Voyager called Alliances. It was uh, written by Jerry Taylor. I feel like I recognize that name. Do you? Yeah, that's a pretty commonly appearing, at least in Voyager it is. I don't know if it's someone that was in, that wrote for multiple shows, but it definitely is one that crops up a lot in, in Voyager, I feel. Okay. I'm just checking it out. I'm directed by Les Landau. Oh, she's written actually a bunch for TNG. Jerry Taylor's written a bunch for TNG, a few of DS9, and then a bunch for Voyager, too. Okay. Yeah, so, pretty. She actually might have, nice. I was... A little while ago, I was kind of trying to discover who's written the most episodes of Star Trek, and I could not immediately find that on the internet. It seems like something the internet would have you would think, served yeah. up to me. But I, uh, she might actually have the most of anyone who I've checked so far, because I think interesting. Prior to this, of what, like, because I was kind of just started from the beginning, and I think the most the most that I had seen was um, DC Fontana, who wrote for mostly original series, and then and then TNG some, and then I think a, a little bit for DS9 and Voyager, and or maybe not even Voyager, but anyway, she had written I believe 17, and it looks like Jerry has written one, two, three, six, <laughs> more than 30. She's written like 35 or 36, yeah. it looks like. So uh, yeah, and apparently we should, maybe we should start working this. Apparently, there's a space to. On the internet to catalog all of that. Yeah, maybe Someone maybe next time we yet. record, I'll I'll try to I'll try to put something together. I mean, there's so like many writers, running, but running tally as we go. Yeah, there's so many people. Even in the original series, there's so many people who have just wrote one with writing credits. Yeah. Uh, but then I know that for TNG, I'm not sure about the other series, but for TNG, they accept they had like open submissions. So like sometimes fans would just write stuff, and then oh, they'd really? be like, "Oh, this sounds good." And so you you know, there was people outside the writers' room, I think, who had writing credits on it. From what I've from what I understand, anyway. So uh, anyway, that was written by Jerry Taylor and directed by Les Landau. Memory Alpha description of it is: After continuous Kazon attacks against Voyager cost the lives of several crew members, and the damage to the ship continues to mount, 
Janeway seeks an alliance to secure Voyager's passage through the Kazon Collective. So, uh, you know, as we've as we've discussed previously, Voyager is a show about a uh, star, a Federation starship that gets kind of spun off light years away from home, and they're just trying to get back. And so, they go through all of these kind of foreign, outside of Federation space areas um, to them, and it lets you kind of have like a new mythology in this one a little bit. And one of the big ones, I take it, you know, from I, I know you know this a lot more than I do, but one of the one of the new kind of bits of continuity is the Kazon. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, they're especially for. I th- like early in the show, especially, I think they're very, they're kind of a recurring sort of threat or antagonist that, and I think even like specific, specific ones, like the main one that they interact with in this one, I, if I vaguely remember, I think he's sort of a recurring villain for a while. And then they, you know, Voyager can always has the option to do this thing where once they're done telling stories with a certain people they can just be like have a little throwaway line of like well we just passed out of like the Kazon's territory yeah because kind of the premise of the show is that they're traveling in one direction Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so presumably you'll be like in a part of space where there's a lot of them and then eventually you're in a different part of space where they aren't anymore um but yeah but they were very i feel like they were one of the main there were probably like maybe four or five big sort of alien races invented for Voyager that they come across a lot. And they were definitely one of the main ones. So my first note actually that I wrote for this is who are they? So like they seem just kind of like Klingons. They, they, yeah, that was, I think the big criticism because they are really just sort of the stand in for Klingons, like needlessly antagonistic, aggressive people with stuff on their foreheads that but also this time with like crazy hair and crazy have, hair yes that is kind of wild uh, like, like like almost like solid hairdos basically yeah like it's like foam hair it's the hair really i remember really throws me <laughs> whenever yeah. you look at them you're just like what's i don't i don't mind the hair, hair. I, it kind of almost gave me like shades of um episode one queen amidala just like kind of needlessly elaborate sort of thing yeah know? But I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know if it's supposed to look like that, or if it's they're supposed to just look like kind of rough and dirty, and for some reason it just sticks in one place. Dread, dreadlock updos. I guess. So I actually, and I don't know if this may be one of the main thrusts of of this episode, but I did like some. I think I read on Memory Alpha a little bit about the Kazon because I was trying to remember. Well, first, first of all, I was trying to see like how they were received because I I remember thinking when I watched Voyager. Wow, these seem just like Klingons. Like they, they essentially had all this stuff they wanted to do with Klingons, and were just like, "What if we make people that are just like the Klingons?" And apparently, they weren't. At least when they were conceiving of them, they weren't originally intended to be that way. What the creators of Voyager have said their intention was was that they were all supposed to be mostly based on uh, like Los Angeles street gangs, where, hmm. and that instead of it was one of those things where. And I think this episode was considered one of the main, like, lore-building ones for the Kazon in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if, how well it actually came across to the audience, but the kind of how it was supposed to be is that instead of them just being kind of the antagonist where it's just like, oh, well, they're always the ones that were fighting, they were... It was more that Voyager was kind of in this territory where there were a bunch of different Kazon factions that were all sort of had their complex 
fights with sometimes they were allied with each other and sometimes they were fighting each other and Voyager was just kind of caught up in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, but I think it, many of the stories got sort of oversimplified and they just came across like original series Klingons where it's just like, these are like brutal and violent people that just want to fight you. Mm. Okay. I did say... One of them, my notes was just, this episode seems all right, but it does seem very tied to the current situation. I, I kind of felt watching this similar to the way I felt watching some of like the late era uh, DS9 episodes that we've done, in that I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, this this could be good. I guess I don't really know. I don't know who these people are. Um, I don't really know how long this has been going, or you know, really wh- why it's such a big deal that they want to allow it the ally with the Kazon, which is like kind of the first time I felt that way about Voyager, that there's kind of, that I'm kind of walking into like this serialized thing, you know, in a way yeah, that it's hard for me true. to pick up on. So you might have to help me out, you know, periodically. So uh, basically, this is a pretty simple, well, pretty simple, I think. I guess there's kind of a little turn at the end, but um, essentially, they, you know, Voyager's been, this is going for a while, right? The Voyager's been making their way through Kazon space for quite some time, it seems, right? Yeah, I think... Because this is, this is midway through the second season, and I think they were throughout most of the first season as well. So they're, they're pretty sort of established at this point. Okay, and it's getting kind of tough. Like, they um, are uh, getting kind of attacked a lot, and it's just kind of tough going. You know, at the beginning, there's an attack on their ship of the Kazon that leads to at least one person dying. This is also, like, I I think I really wouldn't have understood this very well if we hadn't have watched that holodeck Seska episode, um, you know, a few episodes back, uh, because this is, you know, this is still early enough for the show where there's a lot of Maki talk, um, so there's... Yeah, where they still reference that there's kind of these two groups on the ship, and there's the people that were part of Starfleet and then the people that were part of the Maki that are essentially just stuck with them out of necessity. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they are kind of saying, well, why don't we just work with the Kazon or offer them things for the leave us alone? And then the Starfleet contingent, especially Captain Janeway, are saying, no, no, we have to follow Federation guidelines. And so there's kind of some tension on the ship about that, which kind of is not really resolved in this episode. I assume probably this, you know, yeah, it kind of some ends of the threads come up ex- later. Exactly back where it started. But, mm-hmm. um, well, because like, there's, there's like a sequence where one of the McKee is trying to contact someone secretly and then that's just kind of never followed up on again and so I assume that maybe that yeah, comes into play true. later well, there's I guess even, that never goes anywhere on Memory Alpha I think um, there it says this is in the Seska arc that is number three of nine so I'd assume okay. that maybe this is you know will, will come up later so anyway though so this, this, they're kind of going and then uh, someone suggests that they that the K- that that Starfleet gives the Kazon, you know, uh, replicators or you know whatever kind of they need, and I don't know that they necessarily say explicitly that this violates the Prime Directive. Maybe they do, but basically the the argument Janeway has is no, this is by a, a violation of the Prime Directive, and it also seems like kind of there's a little bit of like a we don't negotiate with terrorists kind of kind of yeah, vibe I think to this what is she's very much a, an episode that establishes Janeway's partially like just personally stubborn but also just somebody that just doesn't take any crap from anybody yeah she says at one point say i'll destroy the ship before i do that which i i was simultaneously like oh that's awesome and also 
I don't know that I agree with that, really. It doesn't seem like at that big of a deal, but maybe it is. I don't know. Ultimately, though, she kind of talks to Chakotay, who, her first officer, who also it was the leader of the Maquis when, at the beginning of the show. And he kind of says, well, maybe, you know, there's a way for you to sort of compromise and still try to stay true to Starfleet, but kind of use some of the, not necessarily situational ethics, but, you know, sort of like willingness to adapt your positions to the circumstances that the McKee have used. Yeah, so not to just be like, well, we're Starfleet and we don't, you know, we'll do it all by ourselves and, you know, there, but but to maybe cut a deal with some of the Kazon where you make certain terms of things, you know, you won't give them everything they want, but you'll... And I think they want to, because there's these multiple factions that are all competing with each other, their idea is that they'll find one or two of the powerful factions and say, what if we do sort of a mutual protection treaty, where if we see one of your ships in trouble, we'll help you, and then you'll help also protect us from the other Kazon factions. Yeah, or we'll give you like supplies, but not weapons, or... That kind of a thing, you know. And she kind of considers it. Then she has a little scene with Tuvok where Tuvok talks about when he was younger, uh, Spock advocated the Federation allying with the Klingons and how he thought it was a bad idea back then, but then it ended up being a good idea. It's a kind of... Which is, does not sh- which is, does not help the show in differentiating the Kazon from the Klingons, but... Uh, <laughs> right. I was going to ask what you thought of that, of that scene with Tuvok. I like Tuvok a lot, so that was probably my favorite yeah. scene in this. I didn't like love this episode. It was fine. It, it was it was very, as I think it was we were saying before the call, like very standard. You know, not really stand out, but kind of you know, it's very serviceable episode. So I, I yeah, enjoyed that it scene was fine. an episode of Star Trek. Yeah, he kind of makes a little remark about how he has he's creating a flower that is a graft of an Earth flower and a Vulcan flower. Yeah, you know that can be a beautiful thing, like grafting two different you know things together and. You know, which I think is good. I think that's a good a good message. I think it's kind of undercut later by the rest of the episode, but right. And also, I don't know that it again. Like he he delivers it very well, and like it's a nice image. I don't know that it like how effective of a argument would it would be to convince because essentially all he's saying is that like if we were out like two heads are stronger or better than one or like two sticks are stronger or whatever, right? That like mm-hmm. if we're allied with the Kazon, then we, it'll be harder to destroy us than if we are just by ourselves. And I feel like that's an argument that you could make without needing a nice little object lesson of this gardening that you're doing. But maybe he was just really proud of his orchid and wanted an opportunity to show Janeway about it. Yeah, he was proud of it, but he is a Vulcan, so he's not. He, Vulcan, he doesn't so. want to show pride, so he's just <laughs> okay. like, this is going to be a way for me to humble brag about my cool orchid. But yeah, I, I do really like Tuvok. And I think this is a great, like, this seems a great example of sort of how to do a Vulcan mm-hmm. well. You know, and I think, obviously. Spock was was so good at this, and I think Tuvok does it well, where you can deliver, you know, you can be saying things and delivering them without emotion, but still be, like, including subtlety and, and still make it an, a very, like, powerful, you know, thing for him to be saying. Like, he's saying this kind of without emotion, but he's still drawing you into what mm-hmm. he's saying. And, and I don't know, like, I, it's hard to put into words exactly what it is about, like, his performance and Leonard Nimoy's performance that does that so well and i feel like we shouldn't make this every single episode of this show just ragging on enterprise but i feel like it it kind of contrasts with um to paul the vulcan in that show who is that how you say her name I, i've been calling her t paul but i could it's probably is to paul i th- i don't remember i mean we haven't seen episodes that she's really been in very much 
Mm-hmm. But she seems to be much more like she just like will flatly like deliver a line from a script, and there's no. I don't know. I feel like she doesn't have whatever that aspect of it is that. Well, I'll, actually, I'll defend her just by briefly by saying that. Yeah, you're right. We haven't really seen a, a spotlight episode on her, but also, I think in that last episode of, of Enterprise we watched, she has the best line, which is the, you know, have you ever been to an alien hospital? And she kind of oh, yeah, like, very right. deadpan and it's like, yes, in San Francisco, <laughs> in San Francisco. which is like that, that, that's, that's a true. really good. That was, that one was good. So, yeah. So anyway, though, so she kind of, Janeway thinks about it and she decides, all right, we will make, we're going to make, we're going to try to make some alliances. And so she kind of does like a multi-pronged, let's try to reach out to multiple people at once. Now, this was one of those things where I kind of found this a little bit confusing because like all Star Trek races with a lot of stuff on their faces, it's hard for me, like it's kind of hard for me to immediately tell the people apart. But also even more than that, I think... There's a really weird thing in this episode where they talk about Seska all the time. Seska being a character from the Maquis who kind of ends up being a bad person who ends up leaving the ship and then ultimately dying because then you see her again in that um, in that previous uh, episode of, of Voyager where she's in the holodeck. And they talk about her constantly and she's not in this episode, Right. No, I? yeah, she is. She's the she's the she's the woman that's always with the guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, so the, the thing that, the the thing there dumb. is that, and I I think I didn't remember this when we were do, watching the last episode about her, is that part of her whole like arc, and I think it, I think what happened is it's already happened by this point, is that she was originally she was a Bajoran, and then at some point they find out that, like, actually she was a Cardassian that was disguised as a Bajoran. At which point she, like, starts wearing different stuff on her forehead because then she starts wearing, like, Cardassian makeup instead of Bajoran makeup. So I think that's probably why she looks so much different in this episode than she did in the other one she was in. Is I think this is the point where she's already supposed to look like a Cardassian. Okay, because I thought that there's, yeah, there's a woman you see I guess is Seska, yeah, but Seska. I was like, that's not that doesn't that's not her. I th- it was like, I, don't, I, th- I thought they kept on talking to, talking about Seska, and then she's not in the episode. And I was like, that's weird. Just like, clearly, the actress couldn't be here. Like, why do you have to mention her? But I, I, apparently, she was there. And yeah, yeah, I just, yeah she looks her. different on the one that episode I've seen her in. So okay, well, that makes things make a little bit more sense. <laughs> so there, so it's it's actually it sounds like just like a two pronged approach, basically, right? Because they reach out to Seska, who is working with one of the groups of Kazon now. Yeah. And then they also, Neelix has a contact. Neelix, the um, the chef, has a contact with one of the other Kazon uh, groups um, because Neelix is a race of alien that is from this area of, of space. And uh, so he goes and makes contact with that person to see if, if that group of people uh, want to join, right? Yeah. That's where I'm, I'm, I'm on the right track. Yes, yeah. And then, and then he ends up getting, I think, betrayed by that guy, right? Like, he ends up getting sort of captured and imprisoned by the Kazon. Well, he doesn't really get betrayed by that guy so much as he goes and talks to that guy at a, at a bar, at like a, you know, an off-brand uh, Mos Eisley Cantina. <laughs> and that guy is kind of being grumpy at him and then he gets arrested by it seems like just some other Kazon people and then Neelix's contact pretends not to know who he is. Okay. I, I guess I didn't pick up that like he had sold him out just as much as he no, yeah, was kind I think, of being I a, think you're right. I a think jerk. I misremembered. 
So yeah, Neelix gets arrested by some Kazon, or gets captured by some Kazon. Um, and we'll kind of come back to that in a second, because that's kind of the the second, you know, kind of, that, that kind of becomes more of a thing in the second part of the episode. But then while that's going on, um, Janeway and Chakotay are taking point on trying to ally with uh, Seska and then the the kind of the what are the, what are the names of like the chiefs of of the Kazon? They have like a it's like a uh, it's like a, a call or something like that. What is it? Should have looked this up. Yeah, me too. The the Maj. They're called Maj, the Maj. Yeah. yeah so um, Seska is working with one of the groups of Kazon, and the Maj of that is named Kulla, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they start working with them, and basically. Talks fall apart because it seems that Seska has somehow kind of become the shadow leader of this, of this collective, but um, or of this of this group of Kazan. But Kala does not want people to know because she's a woman, and he doesn't want people to know that he is letting a woman be in charge. And so he basically demands an extra part of the agreement of the alliance, which is that he he wants to do like a crew exchange. And Janeway refuses to do it, and then he kind of freaks out, and no deal is yeah, done. And the talks just sort of fall apart at that point. Yeah, and and then me- meanwhile, one of the one of the Voyager crewmen is trying to get a hold of Seska to negotiate via back channels, but uh, you know against Janeway's orders. Yeah, but and you get the sense that 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 crewman is is going to offer to actually give the Kazon weapons or technology or whatever they want that Janeway doesn't want to give them. Right, and but then again, like that's not really follow that 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 kind of you just you just see that, but then it's that does not come to a resolution in this episode though. Yeah. Then meanwhile, over I, I'm going quick, so if you or I'm going fast, I feel like so if, if there's something you want to stop to say, like definitely do so. Um, but so the meanwhile, over in the Neelix storyline, he has been taken into a a cave, like a cool looking like you know cave that you'd wait in while you were going to go on a log ride at a theme park. <laughs> and with with these like with with like these like lights these like floor lights I think that like it's it's very it's 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 very it's a very fake looking cave which I found yeah. very charming but uh, so he is in there with a bunch of other prisoners who are called the Trabe who also who, who have a different kind of forehead stuff <laughs> that kind of yes. it's like mostly on their brows and their noses. And the Trabe, you find out maybe this 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 kind of makes a little bit more sense actually with some of the the gang stuff. That yeah, you're this is something. About. I th- when I read that, this is kind of what what it made me think of, which it does sort of make sense that they yeah. are the, they yeah, used to this, be. Yeah. So they used to be the sort of the ruling class or ruling race on the same planet as the Kazon, and they were this kind of powerful empire, and they essentially just treated the Kazon really badly and made the Kazon this like lower class and then and they and they say that one of the things they did was they sort of they kind of encouraged or subtly made the Kazon fight amongst themselves like they broke them into these different factions and made all the sure. factions rivals with each other to sort of keep them down with the thought that if they were just fighting amongst themselves they wouldn't be able to unite and kind of revolt against the Trabe who were mistreating them. Mm-hmm. And but and now the Kazon though are more powerful than the Trabe, and so they have actually imprisoned a bunch of, or at least that's what it appears. I'm not really sure if that's actually the case by the end of the episode, but um, it appears that way that the Kazon are now more powerful than the Trabe, and so they've taken a bunch of Trabe prisoner. But then 
while while Neelix is there, a bunch of other Trabe come and break them out of this cave so they can all escape and then they, Neelix goes with them and then they meet up with the inner with the not the Enterprise, sorry, with a Voyager. And Neelix, you know, at this point the the talks have fallen apart with Seska and the talks never really got going with Neelix's other contacts, so there's kind of the thought of, oh well maybe we should ally ourselves with the Trabe instead. And and the leader of the Trabe, what is that guy's name? Um his... uh Mabus. Um yes. did you say that? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, Ma- yeah, Mavis. And so he they, he kind of seems like a, a reasonable guy, and he, he sort of, you know, seems regretful of, I guess, like the institutional racism of his of his ancestors. And, yeah, he's and, like, this is things that happened, you know, generations in the past, and and yeah. now we're the ones that are being sort of oppressed, and the Kazon are hunting us everywhere, and we can't, we just want to live a peaceful life and be left alone. Mm-hmm. And then, so he, he kind of says, well, well, we'll ally with you, but maybe we should also kind of set up a, a meeting with all of the Kazon, just kind of make sure everyone's on the same page. Hopefully we can come to some sort of accord, you know, we can all leave each other alone or, or what have you. Yeah, they think that with the Trabe and Voyager together, they'll have, be kind of negotiating from enough of a position of strength that they can actually work out some more long like kind of long-lasting peace like essentially the they sort of have these dreams that like we can everyone can be at peace with each other the trabe and like all the different kazan and voyager we can all just get along mm-hmm. kind of vaguely because now we're the strong ones yeah i, I guess i don't know <laughs> was sort of their reasoning there yeah so just um, leave this alone yeah so they basically they invite a bunch of the of the kazan majas to this to this to this meeting um and they all get ready for the meeting, and they they talk for a little while, and and then I think it's it's Neelix that finds out that he sort of hears these rumors that someone is kind of plotting to use the meeting as an opportunity to attack all the leaders and kind of wipe out, um, you know, that one, that one of the Kazon leaders is going to try to use this as an opportunity to attack all the other ones and kind of seize control. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they they get to this meeting. They t- they talk for a bit, but then they they don't talk for very long before uh, Mavis kind of says to January, "Hey, could you come over here uh, for a second? Yeah, away <laughs> and, from the big windows. <laughs> yeah. And then as they're having this conversation, a Trabe ship comes down and shoots into the window, trying to kill all of the Majas. In a in a scene that I was watching it and I thought to myself, oh, this is where they, they this is where they stole this is what they stole from uh, for Star Trek Into Darkness, at the beginning of Star Trek Into Darkness. <laughs> um, if do you, do you remember that? Uh, like the beginning of that movie, there's there's like a scene where there's a bunch of people gathered in the same place and, and then like a ship just like it, you know, it's super similar. There's just like a ship kind of just pulls up to the window and just like blasts into it. That's that's how the, it, um, the I thought Star Trek Into Darkness was the one where Kirk is on some planet being chased by people with spears am i thinking well, yeah i mean that happens too Did that happened too I think. okay yeah this is because this is where um this is like part of the uh this is part of the the con okay yeah kind of conspiracy thing because i mean that's that's um did jj abrams other... make star trek into darkness uh yeah he worked okay he, he directed it i believe it was written it was written by um alex kurtzman i think who i believe is i i've heard as a 9/11 truther and there is there's definitely there's definitely a <laughs> okay. way to read 
to read that movie as like a 9-11 was an inside job plot. Okay. I was more thinking that with J.J. Abrams, it was all just a matter of finding which of the original popular source material he oh, directly right, yeah. copied for the, for the scene. <laughs> he, he only does the original series uh, copying, though. But, okay. um, the, but yeah, it's, it's very, very similar to that scene, because that, that's, how, that's how that version's um, uh, Captain Pike dies, uh, is, in, is in that scene. Um, oh, that's right. That scene. Yeah. So anyway, then they, they're kind of trying to uh, sh- kill all the Kazon, and then Voyager shoots some uh, shoots some photon torpedoes at the Trabe ship until it goes away. And I don't think any of the Kazon are killed, but now they all basically believe that... They believe that the Trabe... Because, because um, Voyager, during this time period, has, has transported Mabus and... All of the or the Voyager representatives away, and so they think right. that they think that this was a setup from the from Voyager. Um, yeah. So now they're kind of in a worse place. With, yeah, they're sort uh, of even with the case on they were than they were before. Angrier um, at the at Voyager, yeah. Yep, and Mabus is mad at at Janeway because Mabus was. Yeah, she ruined thinking, his plan. Oh, well, if, if you had, if you had killed if we had killed all those people, then. It you know then you would have stopped the the cave or we would have would have stopped the Kazon. So the the Trabe are also mad at at, at uh, Voyager, and um, Jalen basically says go away, and uh, and then the episode basically ends with I think a very weird thing that happens. And we can talk about this, but <laughs> the speech. Yeah, her speech where she basically the, the message of it seems to be compromise is bad. Like yeah. that's, that's what I wrote at the it end. It turns so. out that really we shouldn't trust anyone other than ourselves, and we should have just yeah. I agree. The speech at the end was I feel like weird and just didn't land for me at all. Yeah, so I will say that I think knowing what I what you've told me about the Kazan supposed to be like gangs, I think that does kind of make all the stuff with the Trabe land a little bit better. Um, in the sense that I think you could kind of like look at that as like sort of like you know kind of like the the more like upper class people lamenting uh, lower class violence or 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 not even lower class violence but just like you know violence that has kind of been fostered by the institutional racism that the the upper class has benefited on, and then simultaneously kind of almost almost kind of like in in get out where like the Mm -hmm. the villains of the piece can't really like like you know are keep on talking about like how how much they enjoy you know black culture and how and and, but like it's it's like this strange like kind of recursive um ouroboros of like benefiting off of it and decrying it and expressing sympathy for it but that's just kind of ultimately like super uh disingenuous you know yeah um and I think that part, now that I know that, I think that does actually... I, I appreciate the point they're trying to make there. Because without that, the message of the episode does seem to be sort of the speech that they leave you with at the end. Of just, like, don't trust anybody or compromise with anyone. Just be the right ones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that if they... They, they unfortunately just kind of looked in the wrong places. Like, maybe if they talked to one of the other Ks on it, it could have worked out, possibly. You know, yeah. I don't know. It just... It, it seemed like a weird, a weird way for that episode to end, but yeah, I don't know. It was fine. It was not like a bad episode, I guess. Really, I, I was a little confused by a couple parts of it, and um, but not not one of my favorites, but not one of my least favorites either. I don't think. What do you What do you think? Yeah, I agree overall. It's I feel, and again, it is, it is maybe one that 
suffers a little bit from being out of context, but I think even like with at least with what I remember of the context, you know, it, it definitely has some issues that or things that don't land that would still be the case even if you were following what was going on better. I mean, I I love Voyager. I love the characters. I think they all did a really good job portraying the characters. You know, I love Janeway. I love Tuvok. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly those two. Uh, but I like Seven of Nine too, but she's not in this. No, she's not. So I like that. I think it's a, it's a, and right up to the end, I think this is a good Janeway episode where it kind of shows her, like the conflict that she's faced with, that she wants to be like a good upstanding Starfleet captain, you know, is, is tough and follows the rules and doesn't compromise, but is in a situation where that's kind of what she's always faced with is, do you have to compromise when you're in a different situation than what the rules were written for? Or do you stick with the rules that, because that, that I think is the, at least in sort of the first half, kind of the, the argument that's going back and forth between the different members of the crew is the Starfleet people are saying that, you know, these are sort of the rules that we've chosen to abide by as Starfleet and have gotten us this far. And the, you know, the people, the, mostly McKee or the people that are arguing against it are saying that, you know, those rules were written for a situation where Starfleet is a thing, and now we're just, like, some ship on our own. Everyone's trying to destroy us, and, like, do those rules still apply in a situation that they weren't made for? And that makes sense, too, because the McKee didn't sign on for this. Like, they were, yeah, you know, like they, they kind of were unfortunately caught up in this, but, like, you know, they had never intended to be part of Starfleet. So, you know, that they're, they're, I do think that's kind of a, it's understandable why some of those crew members are, are like, well, why do I don't care about this? Like that's, I, this is, I'm, I'm Starfleet by virtue of that. I yeah, have to they were be the ones like, I, I was kind of press gang into yeah. this, you know, like, yeah. And so that's, that I think is an interesting kind of an interesting debate that kind of that debates had at the beginning and then sort of the story happens and then at the end Janeway just sort of says that her side was right the whole time and the episode ends which I think I feel is kind of a can I can I actually read the can I read the sure. speech I, I have the text of this week so it's uh in a part of space where there are few rules it's more important than ever that we hold fast to our own in a region where shifting allegiances are commonplace, we have to have something stable to rely on. And we do. The principles and ideals of the Federation. As far as I'm concerned, those are the best allies we could have. Which, I think that the best allies they could have are allies. I yeah. think that's the problem yeah, with that speech. They, it makes it seem like they're like in a good position now when actually they're in a much more like worse version of the position they started out in. And I think you know, what she's trying to say is that the reason we're in this worst position is because we tried to make allies, which I don't think is the right message to take away from that. I mean, that's kind of true, but it's also like, it's not, it's not because, it's because they tried to make allies, but it's not because making allies is bad. It's because the people who they happened to pick to make allies with were, were ended up being bad choices. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, it seems to me that kind of like a logical fallacy a little bit, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give, I'll give them this one. I still enjoyed the show, you know, from what I've seen yeah. of it so far. So. No, it was, it was a well done <laughs> episode. I, I, I think, and I guess this is the last I'll say about the little speech at the end, but I think overall what it did for me is, you know, I think what makes for interesting television is when you have an issue that's not completely, like black and white or right and wrong and i think they start out with that where you know they they really have people that are presenting reasonable arguments on both sides of this issue but then you kind of undercut that at the end when you're just like oh well like the last thing that 
that you have your leading character say is, well, my side was actually right the whole time and then it's over you know it's you know it's essentially like delivered with the same gravitas as like an original series episode where kirk finishes by you know like like um the the omega glory where like kirk is like you know delivers this impassionate speech about how we should all be good americans and follow the constitution and it's and i feel like this is not necessarily a situation that warrants that degree of sort of certainty that your side is the right one but yeah i agree with that all that being said point not a bad episode, I didn't think. It's, it was yeah, a, it was fine. It was it was fine. It was fine. Uh, so I think that's all we have to say about that. Unless I, I went through all my not very many notes. So yeah, that was the majority. Of it. I had a couple of little like little comments on a line that somebody said or that. But yeah, I don't know that for some reason I did not have a ton to say about this one. Yeah, me neither. And I watched I watched it twice for the the, the episode. But so our next episode, if you're following along, if you want to watch uh, along with us, our next episode which comes out in 2 weeks will be about uh, season 6 episode 11 of Voyager. This episode is called Fair Haven. Um, so you can check that out and then come back. Um, if you want to follow us uh, or contact us, you can. Um, we're on Twitter at contracts. That's C O N T R E K S, or you can email us at outofcontracts at gmail.com. Uh, and you can go to our website at outofcontracts.podbean.com, and you can get a, our podcast uh, wherever you get podcasts. So, thanks everybody. Yeah. Bye.